Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We still don't have a president-elect or a re-elected president. Uh, We'll maybe get closer to that later today. We'll certainly be talking about what we've seen in the last 24 hours as this podcast goes on today. We're brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show. Again, we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. Uh, Jim, let's start with the good martini. We're kind of back to our regular format today, good, bad, and crazy. And the good news is... Uh, that the Democrats, while they might win the presidency, and that's not good, obviously, but uh, they might not win the U.S. Senate. I'm feeling less confident about that right now, but uh, it's still looking like a better shot for the Republicans to hold that. Uh, But they also made virtually no progress on the state level. The Washington Post has a story on this this morning uh, by Amber Phillips. Heading into Election Day, Democrats had hoped to pick up a half dozen or more state legislative chambers to get a foot in the door when many state politicians get to redraw congressional maps next year. Lines that will last for the next decade and help determine which party controls Congress. Instead, it's possible Democrats end up with no new chambers, and it will be Republicans who leave 2020 with wins. Republicans picked up the New Hampshire House and Senate, giving them total control over governing in that state because they also kept the governor's mansion. Republicans won another trifecta, as it's called when one party holds the state legislature and governorship after their victory in the Montana governor's race. Arizona's state House and Senate are still outstanding and could be Democratic pickups. There's a long shot chance that Democrats take the Pennsylvania House, but those are all ifs and they are far from the only victories Democrats had hoped to be talking about right now because they had uh, talked about trying to flip the state house in Texas. Perhaps their number one target didn't happen. Also failed to flip either chamber in North Carolina. They couldn't even flip the Minnesota State Senate despite only being two seats away. And they also tried to flip the Iowa State House. Did not happen. So, Jim, state legislature races always matter for a number of reasons. You are are building your bench for state and potentially national government there. Uh, You also want to make sure your grassroots is is strong in your state. But uh, it's especially important in years ending in zero because the next batch is going to determine legislative boundaries in most states. And uh, Republicans are going to be able to do that in a lot of states where Democrats hope to be doing that. Yeah, and there's one other aspect of the down-ticket races that we probably should acknowledge here, Greg. That's that in the U.S. House races, we already know Democrats are are going to keep control of the House. Uh, Republicans, at this point, it looks like they've gained at least five or six. Let's look over at Politico. Uh, They have, you know, not only do they classify races by who has won and the race has been called or decided, they also tell you who's ahead. Right now, Republicans are at 190 uh, seats, but right now they've they've won. That one's these are pretty much resolved races. But in the unresolved, which is still a good uh, you know probably forty some out there, they lead in twenty five. Well, if you can do the math there, one ninety plus twenty five gives you two hundred and fifteen, and you need two hundred and eighteen to control the chamber. So theoretically, you know, if if every one of these continues to hold for the Republicans. They would be three seats away from the majority. It's exactly the kind of spot you want to be in heading towards a midterm election where the Democrats control the White House. And usually there's a backlash effect in those midterms. Now, are the late ballots going to send some some of these races to the Democrats way? Yeah. But, you know, some of these races are, you know, Jimmy Herrera Butler, who's down, who's up 55 to 44 right now with 81 percent in. 
Uh, there's a bunch in New York State. There's a couple in California. The ones where the Republicans are leading by like seven points, uh, you know, it's five points. Not, you know, these are not razor thin ones. There are some other ones that are razor thin. And yeah, you'll probably lose it. But, you know, the Republican Party could be, you know, not that far away from flipping the House when all is said and done in this election cycle. Um, from 2000, you know, 2008, Democrats are on top of the world. Obama won the White House. They had control of the Senate by a wide margin. They controlled the House by a wide margin. Republicans were allegedly a rump regional party, and they thought they were on top of the world. And one of the lessons, the hard lessons they learned over the course of Obama's presidency is that when you have the White House, a certain chunk of your voters tend to get complacent. They tend to believe, ah, you know, my guy's in charge, everything's fine. And they're just not engaged in the special House elections, in the gubernatorial elections, uh, sometimes even House and Senate elections and in the state legislative, local races, all that kind of stuff. You started seeing Republicans winning, you know, all these down ticket races, particularly in 2009, 2010, 2011. Obama wins re-election. They're, you know, the Democrats are like, OK, great. We've got voters who will show up when Obama is on the ballot. And apparently they don't show up any other time because Republicans ended up having good years in uh, 2014 and 2015. And then of course, we still know how 2016 turned out. So. You know, the, the lesson of this is that Democrats still haven't gotten their voters to understand how important it is to, to vote in these down ballot races. Um, we talked the other day about how in North Carolina, Republicans either won all the down ticket races below governor or they lost them by like less than one percent. That's pretty good. This is still a the Republican Party is still a very strong party in most states at the state and local levels. And they can you know affect a lot of laws that way. Um, of course, would you rather have the presidency? Yes, you would. Yes, absolutely you would. And we're going to get into that in our second martini. But in the meantime, don't forget about a uh, different kind of sponsor for the three martini lunch. It's the Jordan Harbinger Show. Apple named it one of its best of 2018. And the podcast is essentially aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker. And boy, as you're watching this drama play out in all these states, being able to think critically is kind of important. So uh, if you want to know how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, uh, check out The Jordan Harbinger Show. There's an episode for everyone, no matter what you're into. As we've mentioned before, the show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. How is this not a Netflix series or a movie yet? Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners people end up picking and how going on or off the pill can actually change elements of our personalities. You know, you won't find just one set of viewpoints on Jordan's show. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is Jordan's ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. You'll find something you can apply to your own life, whether it's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. So go to jordanharbinger.com slash subscribe or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Jim, let's get to our bad martini now and... What is happening in all these uncalled states and some that even have been called at this point? There's uh, concerns about implausibly in the minds of many, uh, especially on the right, high voter turnout in Wisconsin. Uh, there's the issue of Michigan and allegedly uh, Republican uh, ballot counting watchers being ushered out to cheers uh, and no Republicans being allowed in the room. We've talked about the issue in Pennsylvania as well, especially uh, in a state where the attorney general and the secretary of state have 
tweeted out insane things that show that they're very much partisan. Then you've also got uh, situations like Arizona, where we've got Sharpie Gate, where people were allegedly told, fill it out with a Sharpie. It'll be faster. The ink will dry faster. And then allegedly the machines didn't read the Sharpies or they got tossed out for using Sharpies. Then you've got uh, the situation in North Carolina where they've just stopped the counting till November 12th. They're not uh, updating with whatever mail ballots trickle in here in the day or two after Election Day. They're just going to apparently show up on November 12th and go, blah, here it all is. Nevada stopped counting sometime early uh, Wednesday morning. They were going to update yesterday and then said, nah, I guess we'll get around to that tomorrow. And then, of course, people are watching uh, Georgia, which we'll talk about more in the third martini. So, uh, Jim, uh, a a lot of back and forth about what we're seeing in these states is above board. The Trump campaign has filed lawsuits about the poll watchers and other things in a number of states filing for a recount in Wisconsin. There's a lot of uncertainty about whether this process has been on the level. So I once again go back to the issue of who gets to count the votes and especially who gets to count the last votes. And uh, it brings us back to your comments from a couple days ago. It's one of those things where whenever you're in one place that's the last place to report, if you have zero results from them and you have results from all the other counties in your state, that's when people start to get suspicious because it's, the sense is that they're waiting, okay, how many do we need? Right. If we have one county in, in, uh, in, in any of these states tonight that has not reported anything when everybody else has, that's when your, your suspicious radar should go off. So, Jim, I think your point that you're going to make here today is that even if this is on the level, uh, it's badly eroding trust in the system. And that's a very bad thing. Yeah. Now, there's one thing I can add to what you laid out there, Greg, which is that uh, in that state of Arizona, Using a Sharpie did not invalidate your ballot. Uh, They say that the machines should be able to count them. The reason they discourage them, they don't bar them, they don't ban them. If you use a Sharpie, they don't throw out your ballot, uh, at least that we know of. Uh, And that's that basically their concern is that it could bleed through to the other side. And for everyone who people are like, oh my goodness, that might, you know, affect whatever uh, uh, ballot choices were on the other side of the ballot. They say that, look, it can bleed through, but they don't line up. So... Uh, I think the only thing that would look, I don't know if they're using like kind of the old Scantron types or they used to tell you to use a number two pencil and fill in the dot. Um, using a Sharpie should not cause your ballot to be invalidated. That having been said, they, they urge people not to do it. So I don't think that should be the sort of thing that makes a difference there. Look, we knew heading into this election, particularly in some states like uh, like Pennsylvania, Democrats were much more interested in voting absentee and voting early, voting by mail. And Republicans were much more interested in voting on Election Day. So when we've seen a bunch of these states where Trump is ahead in the count early on and it looks like it's going to be a huge win, and then slowly the the Biden votes, the Democrats start inching back up, that's kind of what you would expect with that. Because in most of these jurisdictions, they're counting the Election Day votes first, and then they go back and they add the absentees. Most of the time, this process doesn't really notice anything because we, it's not that close. Absentee ballots aren't that big a chunk. And, you know, this is... Uh, the sort of thing that people tend to forget about after Election Day. That having been said, if you're a Republican and you keep seeing your guy ahead and then in slow counts, because let's face it, Florida's got all its its vote in. Ohio's got all its vote in. Um, Most of the other whole bunch of big states that have almost all of their vote in, you know, that in North Carolina, they have not called either the Senate race or the Pennsylvania race officially because there's 117 absentees that are out there, but one, not all 117 absentees are gonna, they're gonna get mailed back. 
And the second thing is that, you know, Biden's got to win like 83 percent and uh, Cunningham would have to win 90 percent uh, for this thing to flip. So Trump and Tillis have actually won that state. They just want to wait until all the absentees come back. Um, but look, this process is not good. If everybody, and by the way, the, the changes that certain states had made said, you know what, we're going to count the votes, the absentees that come in early before Election Day. Maybe it makes better sense to do this way. You know, Florida, we're not hearing any Republicans complaining that this was a uh, that the vote counts leaked early or, or that there was any kind of shenanigans going on there. Uh, maybe it would make sense to have all states counting the absentees first. We don't know if the absentee vote in future cycles is going to be as high as it was this year. Uh, hopefully the coronavirus pandemic is over in a couple of months. We all get vaccinated and we don't have this factor. But, you know, maybe some people are going to like voting early. Maybe some people are going to like voting absentee. Maybe we're going to have these higher rates. And, you know, it probably makes more sense because... As I laid out a few weeks ago in that clip you just heard, when like there's one, when people are, oh, here's where everybody else is counting in. And there's one county, usually very urban, <laughs> that has a lot of votes and they suddenly know exactly the threshold that they need. Then, you know, that's when you start getting people suspicious when it comes in with just enough votes to put their the Democratic candidate over the top. I'm not saying that this is voter fraud. I am saying that there are certain actions you can take to make sure that uh, people have faith in the system. If you're having any doubts about Georgia right now, there's a very good chance that Georgia is going to flip to Biden before when all the votes are are counted. I don't know. That's for certain. It's going to be really close. It's going to come down to like just a couple tenths of a percentage point. In fact, we'll talk about more of this in in our next martini. Um, But there's a Republican secretary of state there. He's already, you know, going after a bunch of people who voted twice. You know, ask yourself if the Republican secretary of state would just shrug if there was serious evidence of, you know, voter fraud or ballots being destroyed or ballots being double counted or something like that. So I don't think this is fraud, but that doesn't mean that everybody's you know behaving properly. That doesn't mean everybody's acting in a way that restores faith in the system. You know, Josh uh, Shapiro, I'm looking in Pennsylvania. I'm looking at you. And, uh, you know, I I, look, Biden is probably going to win based on what we know right now. But he's going to have a cloud over it, and it's going to be in part because Democrats did stupid things like this. So you're confident that Tillis is going to win? Pretty much. Pretty much. You know, if worse comes to worse, I, I think you know, even if all of Cal Cunningham's mistresses voted for him, <laughs> that still probably wouldn't be enough to put him over the top based on what the votes that are out there. Wow. Well, I certainly hope so. That gives me a little more peace of mind because Susan Collins was officially declared the winner yesterday. I assume Dan Sullivan's going to win. If Tillis... Uh, hangs on. That's 50. And you have to think the Republicans will win at least one of the Georgia runoffs, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and so that would get him to 51. But uh, without the uh, the updates of what they received each day, I was starting to get nervous about uh, North Carolina and why they might be doing it that way. But uh, I hope you're right about the math there. Hi, I'm Sarah Carter, host of the Sarah Carter podcast. Everywhere you look these days, we're seeing an aggressive effort to destroy what made America great, tearing down our history, attacking our freedoms, and canceling any person who dares to cross the progressive speech police. We cannot stand by and let this happen. It's time for the silent majority to become the unsilent majority. Join me on the Sarah Carter podcast. Subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, on to the crazy martini now, Jim, and we've teased it way too many times here, so let's get to Georgia, where right now, and we're recording this a little after uh, 11 a.m. Eastern time, Donald Trump still leads Joe Biden by 18,000 votes and change, and in the U.S. Senate race between David Perdue and John Ossoff, 
Purdue leads by 115,000 votes. He's going to come out in first place here. The question, though, in Georgia, as we talked about yesterday, is will he have a majority of the vote? You have to have 50% of the vote to avoid a runoff. And that's why the giant field of Leffler versus Warnock and Collins and everybody else, that race of Leffler versus Warnock is definitely going to run off January 5th. David Perdue right now, uh, and there's still, I guess, some votes left to be counted, 50.03%. John Ossoff, 47.66. So uh, I don't think Ossoff can catch up here, but David Perdue is on the razor's edge. And given the proportion of the vote that's come in lately, uh, it's hard to see how David Perdue is going to avoid the runoff. Uh, but Jim, what do you make of the Georgia system? Louisiana Louisiana pretty much has the same system uh, where we've got a person who's clearly in front, but uh, not to 50%. So we're going to be headed probably to two really expensive, really ugly runoffs in Georgia. Yeah, I'll talk about what to expect in a runoff in a second, Greg. But the first thing to keep in mind, I, I ran the numbers on this. Right now, with that 0.03% above the threshold, that's about 1,347 votes away from that threshold you know, of, of avoiding a runoff out of more than 4.8 million votes cast. That's an astonishingly small one. Yes, the outstanding vote is apparently mostly in Fulton County, which includes Atlanta, and the other county, which includes uh, Savannah. Generally Democratic-leaning areas, you're probably going to add more Democratic votes than Republican votes in this. Uh, which means you're probably going to have Joe Biden win Georgia, but it's going to be super duper close. uh, And you're probably going to go to a runoff. It's going to be really frustrating for Republicans. um, But I guess the Republican secretary of state, he talked about all the the steps they're taking to ensure that this ongoing count is free and fair and and avoiding fraud. They've got cameras and locations. They've got state observers. They've got guards. They've got poll watchers. There really shouldn't be any shenanigans in the state of Georgia. I think if Biden wins this, I think it's going to be fair and square. Alternately, I just don't believe the idea that some sort of massive fraud went on to steal the vote for Biden and a Republican secretary of state just didn't notice any of it um, and didn't care to investigate any of it. I just don't don't know if I buy that. Regarding the runoff, the history of runoffs for Republicans is, is pretty darn good. You mentioned Georgia and Louisiana. I went back and checked. There is one runoff since 1992 that the Democrats won, and that candidate ended up switching to the Republican Party a few months later anyway. So, um, you know, one of those cases where you had a very, very conservative Democrat running against a Republican. I can't guarantee Republicans would win one or both runoffs if they go, if, they, if they're required. But the, the pattern for much of history has been um, Southern Democrats in Louisiana and Georgia come out on Election Day. They vote for the Democrats. And then they start uh, getting ready for Thanksgiving, putting up the Christmas decorations, looking at uh, college football, pro football. They just stop paying attention because turnout in runoff elections is traditionally really, really low. You can chalk it up to exhaustion. You can talk it up to complacency. You can talk, you know, generally turnout is much lower. That generally benefits the Republicans in these red leaning states. And, uh, you know, right now, if you're betting money, you'd say, you know, the Republicans should win both these runoffs. Could it be different this time? Sure. Uh, look, control of the Senate could be at stake. Could be the difference between uh, 50, could be 52 Republican seats or a 50-50 split and Kamala Harris uh, breaking the ties. Maybe that keeps the, the Democrats enthused. Maybe that gets turnout much higher. Um, but I mean, this we're talking about turnout that's been, I believe, I can go up and check, it was something like 67%. But this has been really good turnout for Georgia, record turnout. I don't know if you get that in a runoff. Um, Alsoff is now two and a half uh, votes down, and I believe he is, 
you run the numbers on that. That is, uh, we're talking more than 100,000 votes. We're talking a 63% turnout so far this year, 115,431 votes. Is Ossoff going to do better than that in a runoff? It's not impossible, but I would be very tough to find that. Uh, in that other race, it was a, you know, Warnock, the Democrat versus, you know, at least two major Republicans and like a thousand other uh, candidates. I don't know if like, you know, Gary Coleman ran this time, but it was one of those, like there were 20 or 30 candidates. So everybody knew this was going to a runoff. Could Republicans lose that one? I, they could, but you know, look, it's Georgia. It's a traditionally red state. And for people to say, ah, oh, this is different. Well, look, you look at 2018, the big change has been, uh, yeah, has African-American turnout been high? Sure. But African-American turnout is traditionally pretty high in the state of Georgia. The big shift since 2016 has been that these suburban white collar Republicans who are particularly Republican women who are, uh, you know, not as who, who don't like Trump. They're, they're not they're not Democrats. They don't love Democrats. But Trump is just more than they can stand who have been drifting over in the direction of the G, of the Democrats. That's a couple I didn't, didn't wasn't enough in the uh, governor's race. Wasn't enough in the um, uh, in the you know previous race, statewide races this year. But in, in a couple of House races, that made a difference. Now, maybe those voters, if Trump is defeated and Trump is going off the stage, maybe those suburban voters feel comfortable voting for the Republican Party again. Or maybe the switch is permanent. Maybe those people have become Democrats. But I would look at it all and say Republicans are more likely than not to win the runoffs in Georgia. Obviously, they can't take it for granted. I think if control of the Senate at stake, every conceivable interest group will be dumping in money and resources and volunteers and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I even saw one Democrat urging other people to move to the state of Georgia. Register the deadline to register to vote is December seventh. Vote in the Senate election, and then you can move back to your other home state. And um, <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work. Uh, I don't know if it's going to work there, Greg. Does that count as human trafficking? <laughs> They're kidnapping people off the street. And, yeah. Wow! Wow! All right, Jim. On that note, uh, enjoy your day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please don't forget to subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. Also, we're very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. They matter a lot to us. So again, thank you. Also, please remember you can get us on those home devices. Always, all you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a wonderful day and join us Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.